survive and thrive. This is a podcast that brings you stories and perspectives on how leaders and organizations can not only transform to survive, but thrive in change. I'm your host and co-founder of Consinity, Jennifer Ayers. We're kicking off our podcast series featuring 19 stories and perspectives on how COVID-19 has created an imperative for change and what leaders and organizations are doing to respond to that change. I'm excited today to talk to Dr. Robert Sakura. Robert is recognized as a leader in organizational development and is the founder of Sakura Consulting. He recently published a book called Helm, Navigating with Purpose. To give you an idea of what's in the book, to grab the helm, this is where leaders can learn skills to take command of the moment and the life that you're meant to lead. In this book, you will gain insights and confidence to grab hold of your life and make lasting impacts for you, your team, and your organization. Sounds pretty transformative, huh? Let's start with getting a little background from Robert himself, and then we'll dive in with questions. Hello, thank you very much. I appreciate the opportunity. My background, uh, I grew up in the uh, recreational therapy space and worked with young adults and uh, teenagers and did a lot of human development work there. And when I went on to get my master's, I decided to get a master's in human resources and worked in the corporate space within human resources, probably for a good 20 years, uh, working for organizations like Pfizer Pharmaceutical, Pillsbury, Carlson Companies. And I completed my corporate life uh, working for Eaton Corporation and Cargill, which is the second largest privately held company in a large agricultural firm. I went independent back in 2009 during the Great Recession very intentionally because I wanted to help small to mid-sized organizations transform during that time. My father owned a small printing company when I was a kid growing up, and I really thought, wow, all these tools, all these methods that I've learned uh, in the corporate space uh, really translated well to organizations of all sizes. I just needed to, to make it work for them and to be that conduit. And so for the last 12 years, we just had our 12th year anniversary of the Sakura Consulting Firm. I've been working with organizations of all sizes across the world and helping them transform as they go through various forms of change within leadership, within team effectiveness, employee engagement, and uh, it's been a lot of fun. Speaking of transformation, what other time is great to discuss than a global pandemic? Just over a year ago, Robert was experiencing a typical business day until the world shut down. He takes us back to March 2020. Yeah, it, it's interesting because I, I know exactly where I was when things started to shut down, as it were. I was down in Arizona meeting with the CEO of a very strategic partnership relationship that I have. And we were looking at integrating our different tools and methodologies as a way to create a more complete package for the customers that we serve. And uh, we were there on a Monday, I believe. And about 3.30 that afternoon, the organization made the decision they were gonna be shutting the doors the next day. And, uh, and I was supposed to be in meetings with them you know, the following day. And instead I was on a flight home to Minnesota and started the pandemic kind of quarantine and uh, stay-at-home process. But returning to Minnesota wasn't all bad. It was actually kind of special for me because my, my father had passed away just uh, last August at 90, 
And my mom just had her 90th birthday in February. And I got to hang out with mom for nine months. <laughs> it was pretty cool. And work from home. Basically, we immediately pivoted. It was one of those things where, you know, we had just done strategic planning in, uh, in January with the, with the crew. Uh, we affectionately uh, refer to each other as the crew. We just said, you know what? Organizations are definitely going to need help during this change. We're, all, we're about change management and transformation. And we decided to immediately focus the work of the helm on our own organization. And we pivoted. We looked at, you know, what is the strategy that we want to go forward with? What's the approach? And uh, we immediately started uh, working on it. Pivoting and responding to the crisis quickly was one of the best decisions they made. But with so much to do to prepare for virtual work, what did they first turn their attention to? The first thing, obviously, was we ran a lot of in-person programs, you know, flying and traveling globally, working with our clients. That wasn't going to be the, you know, the, the case, but we were very familiar with uh, the different uh, virtual platforms. And we quickly uh, pivoted, uh, changed our curriculum so as to make it completely virtual in that moment. So we, we did that. 80% of our clients pivoted with us and allowed us to facilitate our sessions virtually. We broke it into three-hour sessions versus, you know, the full day type because it's just too long to, to sit. And that actually worked out really well. You know, some of those clients uh, have had us come back and do in-person sessions since. Uh, in November, I was able to get out to Hawaii and work with a couple of our clients there. And I'm working with a, with a global firm right now that's uh, based out of uh, Basel, Switzerland. So a lot of work went into uh, that initial change, that's for sure two locations I certainly wouldn't mind spending time in. So let me know if you need help uh, <laughs> any of those absolutely, locations. Absolutely. All joking aside, I love that Rob and his crew, as he affectionately calls them, were able to tackle internal issues that arose during the pandemic. But was it the same for their clients? The beauty of first quarter of every year is that it's an opportunity for organizations to engage their strategy. You know, we work with folks third and fourth quarter to, you know, go through strategic planning, get things aligned for the next year, typically collect a baseline of data in the December timeframe as kind of a year end uh, to help because we do a lot of quarterly pulses with our clients so that they can do quarterly reviews. And so when this happened in March, we were right in the middle of one of our data collections. It was the baseline that we collect at the beginning of the, of the at the end of first quarter, but it, it gives you that first slice. And it's usually a larger cut of the data. And, and it was very timely because, of course, you know, folks are like, oh, with all this change going on, is it a good time to collect the data? And we always say it's, it's always a good time to collect the data because it helps to inform and to tell the story. We say the data is the positivistic side of the story, and then you allow the employees to tell the interpretive side of the story and really be able to, to go deeper that way. So we collected that data, and uh, it was amazing because we saw some pretty significant shifts in the data for the clients that we were serving. And it really fell into three buckets. We had one group of, of clients that the engagement scores and the data was really kind of telling a story of, of crisis, really. There was a lot of uncertainty and things of that nature. The other story that was told was a lot of mixed messages and, and things were all over the place and it was just kind of a helter-skelter type of a response and just, you know, it was just all over. The third response was those uh, leaders and those organizations that really got clear on purpose at the beginning of the year and that they, during uh, uh, the initial uh, phases of the pandemic, came in with a very, very clear intent. Uh, they got very focused. They held on to a, a critical few elements 
and they gave everyone a sense of kind of a, a sense of security as it were, and safety, and really helping to build that trust. But it really came through a, a space of transparency. And it was amazing because we you know here in Minnesota, we talk about the hockey stick effect, right? And, and that's where this, the scores just took off. And I've worked with different teams in situations like that, where they're, where they're going through a significant crisis and their engagement scores actually kick up significantly because of the way in which the leadership team brings them together and really uses that opportunity as a way to galvanize the team as opposed to uh, creating a lot of um, tension and confusion. And so we saw all three of those camps, as it were, through the data. And so for each one of those buckets, we created, you know, development and strategy for each one of them to kind of transition and pivot in those times. As Robert and his crew were collecting, analyzing, and understanding the data, they saw different patterns emerging. They created strategies for their clients who were all in varying places in terms of performance and engagement. Most of the organizations that we worked with really, they took the long-term vision and they they shortened it significantly. That was the big thing. It was, what can we focus on right now on the critical few? What are the two or three things that we really need to do and we need to do well? And let's look at things on a 90-day plan and every 30 days, make sure to, you know, reassess. So you're always looking out 90 days, but every 30 days, you know, you're kind of going through this reassessment, which was perfect timing for us because we, again, we measure on that quarterly pulse and let's focus in on those critical few things that we need to do in those 90 days. You still keep a long-term perspective. You can still keep that vision that goes out, you know, what do we stand for and all of that, but really being intentional on those micro steps as you move ahead. And that's, those organizations are the ones that really were successful during the pandemic and again, created that sense of security and safety uh, for the staff members. In looking back and reflecting on three types of methods of navigation for different companies, Robert discusses the patterns and pieces of information he has identified in the most successful ones. The themes themselves were pretty simple. Again, it, it goes back to having a very clear sense of purpose in the moment that everyone can share in and everyone can you know kind of bond around. So having that be present was critical. If there wasn't that sense of purpose or that that goal that we were going after in the moment, it left people, you know, kind of hanging as it were. The other piece was transparency and authenticity on the case of leadership. You know, leadership coming in and just being vulnerable in that space to to be real transparent about where they were at, where things are at, and where things were going. And, and another side of that is really listening, really taking the time to hear where folks were at. I really appreciated the kind of check-ins that people did, you know, as opposed to just the business check-ins. It was really checking in with the person first. I think one of the big benefits, and this is this kind of gets into an, another thought uh, as far as looking ahead, one of the big benefits in all of this, people really started to become more present, <laughs> you know, in the moment and really, really listening and taking in where people were at right now. You know, what's going on with the family? What's going on with the kids? What's going on with the business? What's going on with the customers and clients? And really tapping in and having a level of empathy. We were all sharing in a a similar pain, as it were. And so the empathy, I think, was increased. And that's one of the things that I really hope continues as well. So leaders um, and team members that were willing to have those types of vulnerable conversations really helped. So having that clear purpose, having that authenticity, and everyone's a leader, right? That's what we profess and that that everyone has leadership within them. We're all leaders. So we all have the ability to build trust within the culture. And I think that's the other key linchpin in all of this is what are we doing to constantly 
look for consistency because consistency is key when building trust. And are we increasing that, that bank account, as it were, of, of trust within the culture? And when we do that, you know, it, it allows for us to go through those ups and downs and it softens them, you know, as it were, because we trust ourselves and each other to get through what it is that we're going through. So true. I really love the themes that you raise there around purpose, authenticity, being transparent and consistency. It's one thing to uh, say something. It's quite another thing to stand behind that something and continue to reinforce the same message so that you are building trust within the organization. So all really, really fantastic points. I want to take a moment to look a little bit more into the book Helm, which can help individuals navigate change. It was interesting because I've been asked to write books ever since we did the National Study on Trust back in 2013. And we looked at personality styles and we looked at what contributes to a propensity to trust, trustworthiness, and overall trust. And it was a fascinating study. Over 20 organizations participated and over a thousand participants. And just because of the busyness of where I've been at, I've just not gotten to it, as it were. And, and you know, there's just, you know, life takes place and, you know, the work takes place. And back in 2018, we decided to step back and say, you know, we really do need to write a book. And the fact that leading from the helm, which is the kind of the universal model that we use when working with organizations to help them maximize human potential and drive organizational performance, it is that holistic model that systems affect, you know, that that we look at when we're looking at an organization because it, it is balanced, it is holistic. We were working through this at the later part of 2018 and saying, okay, we're going we're gonna to write a book around leading from the helm model. And obviously trust is a big part of that. So the, the trust piece would come into the equation. And we were going down that pathway. And then as it became clear with the pandemic and, and some of the other things that we were looking at in doing our scan of the environment, I happened to be on a trip and, uh, and I was hiking down a mountain and that's when it really hit me that yes, the organizational helm that we use is beneficial and effective, but it really is most effective when the individual is highly engaged in the process. And that's when it hit me that, you know, we need to have a complementary helm for the individual. And so instead of strategy, it became individual purpose. Instead of leadership, it was self-awareness. Instead of culture, it was your values and your beliefs. Instead of the team that you work on, it's your inner circle or your crew. Instead of engagement, it's your passion. It's the things you love to do. Instead of work processes, it's your talent. It's the stuff you're really good at. Instead of customer, it's the opportunity that we have on any given moment to be uh, in service to others. And instead of business results, it is the impact that we make and have on others as we live our lives. So this individual helm just kind of surfaced, you know, to me as, as I was coming down, it was actually the Coca Canyon in Peru. And I immediately went and wrote it all down. And I went back uh, to our crew that we we're helping to write the book. And I said, we need to shift. We need to pivot. This is about the individual. That's where the inspiration came from at that point where we are currently working on the organizational book right now as a complement, obviously, to the individual helm because, you know, they both need to be present. But that's, that's what started the story. And so we were able to reflect on certain individuals uh, that we knew over our years and working and, and people within our own lives. And, and that's where the, the stories came out. Obviously, we created those to all blend together and write a fable, as it were, based on truths of different individuals and different experiences that we had. So that's how the book came about. So it's fascinating. And 
for the listeners who should read your book, I think your forward piece that talks about where the whole model came from with the helm and your story of your your sailing excursion is quite <laughs> extraordinary as well. But I'll leave that out there as a teaser for those folks who haven't read it yet to go get it and read it and learn more. While great change occurred during the pandemic, I believe we will see even more change after the pandemic ends. This past year has spawned much reflection. One of the most common questions in working professionals has been, what is the purpose? Yeah, that's a great question. And it's an interesting one when we think in terms of our purpose, what helps to form that purpose? And, and when we've met with others and we've done some of the research around it, there's no question that passion drives purpose more than any of the other factors of the, of the individual helm. And what's interesting about purpose, and I love the metaphor that a, uh, one of the crew members came up with it. She said, basically, it's the wind in the sails. It's the energy, right, that you get. Whereas purpose is like the rudder. It's what steers the ship. The keel, the weighted keel at the bottom is like your beliefs and your values. So that's, that's there. It's steady. The rudder in the back, that little, that little thing is what steers the ship in the direction that you need or want it to go in. And so that becomes your purpose, but the passion, you've got to have the wind in your sails. Well, the interesting thing about wind is wind is varied. <laughs> it's constantly shifting and changing a different degree. And that's what passion is in our life. And I joke about it a lot. I said, if I did everything that I was passionate about, I'd probably get myself in a lot of trouble and I may not be very productive <laughs> because there's just a lot of stuff that I love to do, but it's not always the right thing to be doing at, at, at that particular time. And so that's where the helm is so helpful because it, it takes us from passion, which we love to do, into our talents, which we're, what we're good at. And then it brings us into opportunity. And that's our opportunity to serve. And when we see repeated opportunities and the consistencies of those come up, we're able to say, wow, there's a pattern here. There's something going on. Maybe I have both a, a skill and a passion for something and there's a need for it. Okay, so I'm going to go after that. Oh, so now you get laser focused. Now it's the critical few again, as opposed to the, the many uh, that sometimes you know keeps us uh, active, but maybe not as productive as we need to. And I think what happened during the pandemic is that folks got to become very focused on what's critical, family and, and different things and health and just the survival of, of an organization that they may be a part of. And in this, they were able to also have some pretty deep reflection around Again, what am I most passionate about? What is my purpose? What's, you know, purpose is what's going to get us through these times of change and, and creates a sense of resiliency. So I think there has been, and I know there has been in the, in the individuals that we've talked to, opportunities of some pretty deep reflection and consideration. And, and so it has been an, a time for folks to pivot and, and to look at, okay, what really matters to me at these times? And as a result of that, you know, do I want to head in a different direction? And I've spoken with many people. I actually am. In fact, I was down in the Dominican working with a, with a high school system and, and working with the administration and the staff. And I happened to meet um, a young gal who had recently graduated from college a few years ago. She was working in the fashion area. And she just knew that that wasn't the space for her right now, that there was a higher calling, as it were. She happened to read the book in a day. And she came back and she goes, hey, I really know. Here are the two or three things that I need to be doing right now, knowing that purpose is something that shifts just like the wind which is the passion over time. We're going to have different passions and, and things that we're interested in over time. And as a result, our purpose may shift as well. So we need to be 
very clear. And I, I joke with the high school kids, you're not going to get a text message that says, here's your passion or here's your purpose, you know, for the next 50 years. It just, it doesn't work like that. <laughs> if only it was that easy. Yeah. It, it's something that comes to you on a daily basis. And, it, and the question is, is, are we being mindful in the moment to see those opportunities and to experience those through others as a way to serve? Because that's what's going to illuminate what's going on. So I, I think, you know, things like the pandemic, which obviously, you know, we've never experienced in our lifetime, you know, before in this way, I don't think they give us cause for pause, I guess is, is the right way to say it, where we can think in terms of and feel what really does matter most. And is this an opportunity to go through some form of a transformation? I think a lot of us have, I know I have personally, as we've gone through this, looked at, you know, what is most important. A recent New York Times article Welcome to the YOLO Economy discusses the recent surge of young professionals leaving their corporate jobs in search of work that is more fulfilling, whether that is finally pursuing a passion, traveling, or simply finding a more rewarding company to work for. It's a trend that's going up. The phenomenon isn't just confined to millennials or even Americans necessarily. In a recent Microsoft survey, more than 40% of the workers globally were considering leaving their jobs this year. At a time in which so many people will start treading in unknown waters, we could use Robert's book to help guide us at the helm of a new life. But while many people plan to make changes in their lives so they can follow their passions, sometimes it's easier said than done. Sometimes there are practicalities and responsibilities to consider that make taking that leap a little bit difficult. There's a gentleman, no different than many other people, and like you know, my dad even in life, his main purpose was to provide for eight kids and to make sure that you know everybody had food on the table and, and a house to live in and you know and protection and all of that. But in doing that, does that sometimes you know take us away from what we're most passionate about? Obviously, you know, sometimes the answer is yes. And in many cases it was, especially when you look at the folks that coming out of the Great Depression, as my dad was, I mean, just having a job is what mattered. But now, you know, you interview the millennials and you you interview different groups. And it's really about being part of an organization where you have a shared purpose with that organization. I want to work for an organization that I know is making a difference because, and it's also aligned to my purpose and my values. That's a very important piece, but that's part of the equation. The other part of the equation is the sense of belonging. And a sense of belonging is the combination of a shared purpose and the care that we share and that we um, uh, provide for each other. The fact that I care about you as a person, I care about you both in, in work and outside of work, and it's that combination. And why we call it the Ohana, it's that sense of family. We all share a combined sense of purpose, but we all love and care for one another within that home. When you have the, both of those things working together, Now you've got an environment that can really stand the test of time. It can go through these adversities that we're dealing with right now. So yeah, that sense of purpose, that strong sense of care uh, for one another, and then having that deep level of trust that you can tap into are are the three pillars that really stand out the most uh, when we're looking at this from an organizational perspective. While the partner book to Helm, Helping Navigate Change on the Organizational Level, isn't out just yet. I wanted to ask why all of this matters, not just to the individual, but to the group. The individual helm book, we affectionately call it Grab the Helm because it's that opportunity for you to take command with purpose, right? And that's uh, where the story in the front end of the book came from. And 
and being invited to grab the helm because you, you gain a sense of control, but control in a safe way as opposed to being controlling. When we look at it from an organizational perspective, it's the empowerment of allowing each individual within the organization to grab the helm of the area and the work that they're responsible for and accountable for. And it's, so it's a very empowering thing. It's not one leader at the helm. It's all of us collectively at our helms, individual helms, and that that creates a collective one and that we're all working together on that organizational helm. We all share the same mission and vision, the purpose and the strategies that allow us to go forward. And we're very clear about that. We're all aligned to it. We all recognize the fact that we have leadership within us, but that our leadership style is very unique. And that's where the diversity and inclusion piece comes into play because we honor the fact that each of us sees the world a little differently. We interact and engage with the world a little differently. And as a result of that, we're able to gain the benefit of those perspectives and perceptions uh, that allows us to see more of the whole picture and the opportunities that exist. The fact that we have an aligned culture, a purposeful culture of trust, says that the culture is in alignment with the strategy. It's not working against it. And that's where that consistency piece comes into play. Are we consistent with what we say and what we do? And is our culture, again, are we acting and honoring that in alignment with the strategy that's moving forward? And that's a pretty big, important piece because it's, it, you know, and we've seen and you've read the research on that. And when the culture is out of alignment with the strategy, the strategy just isn't going to survive long term cultures usually overtake that. So when you're able to be intentional about that, it's one of the huge benefits of the organizational helm. And I happen to be going through a few very significant long-term transformations with organizations right now, and they're using the full aspects of the helm. And that cultural alignment is a big piece. From there, the work gets done at the team level. Ultimately, it's, you know, it's team members working together around uh, the work processes, the products, the services, the, you know, what it is what it is that they're producing. And it's that interaction amongst team members that really drives our individual engagement. Yes, we wanna be part of a great company. Yes, we need leaders that we trust. Yes, there needs to be that culture, but ultimately it's working day in and day out with our team members that really make a difference. And so when we're able to continue to uh, help that creative competence to come up in one another, you know, we're just able to do amazing things. And that's where the work processes, products, the services that we provide become enhanced, the innovation around it, uh, the ideation and the fact that the voice of the customer is paramount. It's it's front and center. We're, we're listening, we're understanding what the needs are as things continue to change. And that's where great innovation is coming out. That's why there's so much technology revolutional type stuff that's coming out in the pandemic because there's just people are coming up with new and different ways of thinking about how things can be accomplished. So it's those organizations that are able to, again, pivot. We use that term, but it's that agility. And I, call, I talk about rapid assimilation. It's being able to know where you're at currently, where things are going and what we need to do to, to adjust, to, to move. And it's just like sailing, right? You've got to tack, you know the direction. You can't always go straight right into the wind. You've got to make adjustments based on what you know what's going on. And ultimately it produces the results uh, that we're looking for. So that is the organizational helm. You know, that's what we're working on right now. And, and we do, we have organizations right now that have stepped up during the pandemic to say, we know it's a systems effect. If you pull on any one of those eight spokes, the other seven are going to be affected. We can't work on them in isolation. And so it's recognizing that when we do 
these little micro adjustments. You're just like, you know, setting their sails and you're adjusting the lines and you're doing different things like that. It's going to have an effect on how the rest of the, of the ship sails. When a leader and a team recognizes that, they realize uh, the impact that they have when these changes are occurring, either internal to the organization or like in the ship or externally. As these external forces you know, hit us in different ways. What do we need to do to adjust to those? And again, that's what the leading from the helm model allows for them to do. That's great. And great insights as well. And I sort of think about some of the conversations I've had in the past around the importance of culture and the alignment of your culture to your strategy. And basically when I've been asked, well, you know, why does culture matter? I just say, do you remember a time when you were working in an environment where it just sucked? <laughs> it's just, how productive were you? <laughs> and how long did you last in that environment? Now, apply tremendous pressure on a crisis moment in that type of an environment, and you just want to leave. I'd like to pivot for a moment and ask Robert, as I do all of my guests, what surprised him most over the course of this past year? What surprised me the most as we went through this was, again, we talked about the three different reactions that an organization had when this first kicked off. What I found as we were going through this was the reaction folks had was to either kind of recline or regress or to kind of wait and see and just kind of, you know, kind of float along or really truly lean in and look for, you know, the opportunities. And I think that's the piece that surprised if, if that's the word to use the most was what was the reactive reaction that each individual has? Because I, you know, we're all different. We all have different personality styles. We all, all have different ways of dealing with, with change. And so there are those folks that just truly kind of just entrenched and they just sat back. So, okay, we wait and see type. And then those that lean forward and, and somewhere in between. And, and for me, again, the part I, I guess I've appreciated about my personality style that was is surprising was that these times usually offer great opportunity, especially a great opportunity to serve others. People in need in different ways, shapes, or forms, and this is an opportunity to do that. What are those? And the thing that I appreciated again was this really created a level of mindfulness and being present and empathy for others that just really started to unlock so many opportunities to serve, which ultimately, if you want to look at it from a commerce standpoint, was an opportunity to do business. I think there's a ton of innovation that occurred as a result of that. I think there's a lot of care and concern for one another that I've appreciated. Obviously, you know, we're here in Minneapolis. There's a lot going on from a cultural standpoint uh, that way and the social unrest. And, and there's just so many people that are just that have allowed themselves to rise up uh, from a, a higher sense of awareness and appreciation of others and how they see. There's a lot of division. There's a lot of black and white thinking out there as well. We know that. But what I'm seeing is the way in which people have truly leaned in to really understand where others are at, what they're going through, and what they can do to help in that moment. So that's the thing I've been most grateful for as well, along with, you know, surprise maybe, but uh, it really has been impressive to me. So moving me in that way. I find it most interesting that empathy has come up in almost all of my conversations over these episodes. In a way, the pandemic has allowed us to be more human again and has shown us we all have similar fears and hopes. We all want to be safe, to be accepted, and to be loved. In looking back at his experience, I asked Robert what advice he has for leaders and organizations 
to not only survive, but thrive in times of change. When I think of the term thrive, and again, you know, transcending uh, from the word survive, it again goes back to those those windows and, and doors of opportunity and really being present and mindful for that. There is so many voices out there that are speaking and, and providing rich information and data around what their needs are, what their wants are, and, and how it is that we could potentially serve them. The thing that allowed us to get through that I didn't mention earlier was, is, you know, yes, we focused on the pivot. Yes, we focused on that virtual delivery and all that. But one of the things that we did immediately is we got a hold of every client that we currently were working with and every client and customer that we had worked with in the last two years. And we sincerely reached out to check in and connect with them to understand how things were going. And, and just, you know, creating and, and deepening that relationship. And, and that's all that mattered at, in that moment. So it's not focusing in on the financials. It's not focusing in on that type of thing. It's really focusing in on where the needs are. And then asking ourselves the question, are we the right organization to serve these particular, or is it an opportunity to refer them? And that's something else that I've just been impressed with. It, it happened here just in the last few days, again, with myself and working with, you know, some marketing firms and things like that the willingness to refer to others that you know would better serve this particular customer or client. It's one of those what you know, comes around, goes around and all that, and it does. I've had some of the most powerful referrals in the last 18 months where people have uh, referred our organization to customers right now that we're serving in just amazing ways. And so the ability to thrive really comes back down to relationships and connections and deepening those and continuing to work to nurture those relationships because it's the love, you know, it's, it's just sharing the love in different ways. And that's what really matters, being able to share that within. We talk about customers, who is your customer? And I will argue every day of the week that it, your employees and the people that you work with are your number one customer and how you serve them. You know, the, obviously that's over and above, you know, or not, you know, in addition to your family and the people that are around you in life. But when you're treating and working with people that you work with on a day-to-day -day basis as your customers, you're truly understanding what their needs are, that transcends and translates into how you serve your, your external customers. And it does so in a, in a much more impactful way. So I think when we focus in ourselves, take care of who we are as individuals, focus in on those that are, are closest to us so we're able to serve them. I think that just continues to reach out and, and it creates a, a wave, an impact that, uh, that's unstoppable. You know, that's where you go well beyond surviving, well beyond thriving, just a higher level of consciousness that uh, that we all can benefit from. Where is the love? That's what it reminds me of when you just said that comment. So I love it. <laughs> I thought I'd bust in with that. <laughs> I've, got, I've got a baritone voice, but I can't sing. So you don't want me to. <laughs> oh, perfect. Well, we'll, we'll, we'll do a little duet together. Just to kind of wrap this up. And this has been a great conversation. And boy, I could talk about this subject for several hours. But is there anything we haven't touched on, Rob, or any comments that you want to make sure that you've left with our listeners? There was one thing that you mentioned, and I, and I think I'm just going to springboard off it a little bit. You mentioned culture and how culture is so important. You know, we know of different cultures that we love being part of others that we didn't. And that's true. You know, it's like a personality, really, is what it is of the organization. Uh, one of the things we do is we look at culture again from a, from a strategic alignment perspective. We look at culture in kind of in a good to good way in that what is the personality style? Is the personality style of culture 
more externally focused or internally focused? Is it a high-risk culture or a low-risk culture? Is it a culture that rewards how things get done or what gets done? And so these are all very strategic decisions that happen naturally and organically if we're not conscious about them. And so I just wanted to be clear about that piece is that when, when we work with organizations, we really look at these eight styles of culture as a way of determining what's going to be most effective, you know, for you and matching your styles and personality, but also the strategy that you're going after. So when we look at the health of an organization and kind of is it toxic and things of that, that's when we bring in the eight factors of engagement model. And so we back in 2016 did a full metadata analysis around all the engagement models that were out there, you know, Gallup's Q12, which I had worked with, you know, for years, decades, Glant, Connexa, all these different models that have been produced. And we did a, a metadata analysis and we asked ourselves, what is truly the leading indicators of engagement? What does a balanced model look like when we measure at an individual team and organizational level? So you can triangulate, which is a form of navigation that you use to get a picture of where you're at. What is the story that it tells? And, and we were able to come up with the eight factors of engagement as a result. And they are accountability, purpose, as we've already been talking about, agility, which didn't exist in any of the other models, recognition, care. We talked about that in the sense of belonging, trust development and resources. So these eight factors of engagement, we've proven that they are a balanced, holistic approach to engagement. And when measured on a quarterly basis and then given to the employee as a way of leading and guiding and owning their own engagement, it really turns the whole conversation around engagement upside down because so often we do these annual benchmarks, leadership tries to figure it out, and it becomes kind of this game almost of trying to figure out, you know, how, how do we get a lift in our engagement? How do we compete against others? No, turn the focus the other way. Allow the employees to lead the process, allow them to own their own engagement, give them quarterly pulses where you're able to get a real true sense of where things are at. And you will see transformational results in the way engagement is managed within your organization. So I just wanted to leave you with that because without question of all the intellectual property that we've produced, over the years, the, the eight factors of engagement is the one that has had, along with using the leading from the helm model, the, the greatest transformational impact. Great. Awesome. So on that note, how might somebody get a hold of you if they're listening to this podcast? Well, if you Google Sakura Consulting, and Sakura is spelled S as in Sam, I-C-O-R-A, Sakura Consulting, you'll find us that way. If you type in leading from the helm, that should also bring you uh, directly to us. And if you were to type in grab the helm for the book, uh, it would lend you uh, to that, which then would link you back. You can also email us going back to the crew statement, crew, C-R-E-W at SecoraConsulting.com. It will come directly into our main inbox and we will be able to uh, uh, get you connected with the right person and go from there. Well, awesome. And Perhaps if our listeners mention that they heard you on this podcast, that might give Rob and his team a sense of what you might be after. So, um, well, thank you so much, Rob, for joining us today. Really appreciated you taking the time. Yeah, and if they mention the podcast, um, we would be happy to set them up with uh, an ebook version of the Grab the Helm book. Ooh, love that. I will put that in our notes too. So thank you for Absolutely. doing that. Thank you, everyone, for listening and joining our episode of Survive and Thrive podcast. Remember, at Consinity, we empower the conscious leader to realize positive and sustainable change. Until next time, don't just survive, thrive. Take care.